Well, this is 2023, and uh, you know, as uh, was mentioned, I think Teresa said about resolutions. You know, we're always uh, talk about resolutions. I'm sure you've made some. I was uh, found uh, this from last year of the most popular uh, resolutions of 2022, and uh, they're pretty much probably going to be about the same as this year, and pretty much many of these are on your list. Uh, exercise more, right? We always want to do that. Eat healthier, lose weight. I put myself on the scale and saw the blessing of Christmas uh, on the numbers there. So uh, I was uh, got a little revelation there. To spend more time with family and friends, to live more economically, budget. It's always a good time to rethink you know, our budget and things that we want to do, uh, and hopefully as the uh, visa bills and Discover uh, start coming in, you won't pan- get too dis- depressed in January. Uh, spend less time on social media, reduce stress on the job, quit smoking. I mean, pretty much all the typical things that we normally do. Now, the problem with resolutions is most of the time, I think, they usually peter out after a few weeks, right? And we're back back doing what we said we were going to change and not do. But I have found that uh, uh, resolutions in the new year is also a good time, uh, and I think it is uh, an okay time. We, you know, there's nothing wrong with making, uh, of taking evaluation of where I've been and where I want to go. And I think the beginning of the year, it's okay to kind of an evaluation of where I'm at in certain areas of my life. And as a believer, as a Christian, I think it's good to make spiritual resolutions. It's good to have, you know, budgetary and, fan and all the things that, and all these health things, that's all good. But I think also as a Christian, it's okay and good to make some spiritual resolutions. What are some spiritual goals that you want to do and what we want to uh, we can't change or control circumstances, but we can perhaps align ourselves a little better in some areas spiritually that we want to see God move in in our life. And so this morning, the title of the message is Spiritual Resolutions for the New Year. I worked hard at that title and uh, figured I'd try to be as original as possible. But in my evaluation spiritually, these are questions that I ask of myself. Am I closer to Christ today than a year ago? And again, I'm not talking about my position in salvation. I'm talking about relationally. Am, am I, do I have a closer relationship with Christ than I did a year ago or this past year? Is my life, while not perfect, is it more reflective uh, to Jesus than it was in 2022? Uh, have I spent more time in the Word of God that I determined at the beginning of the year. I'm really good about putting together a lot of plans and goals, but sometimes keeping those, you know, that's also the challenge. But as is my goal of reading the Word more than, uh, than I had made that decision? What about my personal time in prayer? All those things. And again, this is not meant to be legalistic, so don't, don't do that. This is more of a pastoral nudging. All right. These are encouragements. And every year in January, I think last year I did a series in January called 
holy habits. It was either last year or year before last. Frankly, last few years is kind of a blur in what, was, what I did and didn't do, and I'm sure for many. But we did that series, Holy Habits, and if you go to our website, you can find that on there. And also, there will be a link to a lot of resources. It'll be a link on the homepage, and it's not on there yet. I mean, they're up yet, but it will be by the end of the day. And it was a link where all sorts of different resources that are free online are just all listed there regarding prayer, uh, reading the Bible, Bible reading plans, all those things. And I don't think there's anything wrong with them. And again, I'm a grace person. So if I start out with a Bible reading plan and I blink and all of a sudden I realize I've gone two weeks and I haven't read what I'm supposed to do, you know what? I don't go back. I just pick up where I should be and keep going, right? So if I should be in Leviticus, I'm not going to go back to Genesis 3. I'm just going to pretend, hey, I'm there. I'm going to keep going. I'm not going to get... Listen, these are tools that are meant to serve me. I'm not there to serve the tools, okay? So don't get under a heavy burden with that. But this morning, I want to give you uh, three encouragements as believers, uh, that I think uh, there, there are areas that I, I have want among many, but three important areas to uh, make some evaluation, to bring some, uh, a fresh resolution in some areas in my life. And so this morning, I don't have the listener's guide outline that we've been doing with John. We'll pick back up with John in a few weeks. Uh, so uh, you don't have that outline there, but everything should be on the screen, easy to follow and take a note or two as we walk through uh, the message today. Number one, the first encouragement that I need as a resolution for the new year is I need to revive my pursuit of God. You see, everything else doesn't matter if you're not pursuing God. Again, I'm talking to Christians to believers here, and if you're not a Christian, if you're not a follower, this is a good place for you to resolve. I want to make a decision to follow God through His Son, Jesus Christ. I'm going to make that the first box I check today as I begin the new year. But as Christians, we want to revive our pursuit of God. We talk about revival, reviving something. To revive is to bring a freshness. All of us as believers hit places of dryness and things are just stale. Uh, we just kind of hit those places where my prayer, my worship, even coming into Sunday worship, we're faithful in coming, but my worship is just kind of ho-hum, dry. Well, and I can blame Sherry and the worship team. They don't sing my favorite songs, this, that, and the other. Well, you know what? That's just an excuse. I believe that if you have a heart to worship, you can engage in just about anywhere, place. You find a spot and pick it, and you worship the Lord. But when you're stale and dry, and you're just not, you just kind of, you know, because why? Worship in my time with God is not happening the other six days, and I come in on Sunday, and guess what? I, you know, it's like, you stand there, and it's like, okay, revive me, worship team. Revive me. That's, that's a tall order. That's a tall order. So the Bible says uh, about this hunger, and one of the things that I hate, and I know you do it, is you ever, is you ever, you ever um, perhaps uh, you're, you're, you're hungry. I, say, I shouldn't say starving because Americans don't starve, really. I mean, I know there are, there are areas, but, you know, 
look at me and look at you. You know, hey, we're not, we're not starving. Let's be real, right? But we're really hungry. And you know dinner, and you know what you should do, but you eat some stuff, and you fill up on some stuff, and it's just, blah, just junk. You're full, but there's no satisfying there. There's no satisfaction. We do that in our own lives. We fill up on a lot of junk of the world and the culture, and we wonder why we're not hungry in our pursuit with God. We wonder why that we don't have that desire that we used to have. The psalmist writes in Psalm 119, verse 25, My soul, very real. The psalms are very real. My soul clings to the dust. Revive me according to your word. What a great scripture. Psalm 119, verse 37. Turn away my eyes from looking at worthless things and revive me in your way. That's a great, that's a great promise and a great prayer. 119, 107. I am afflicted very much. Revive me, O Lord, according to your word. Psalm 51, 12, David's psalm. Uh, many of these are David's songs, but you know this one in particular when he prayed, Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Some of you need to pray and ask God to return to you, not for salvation, you're saved, but return to me the joy of that salvation. Where do I need to revive? What areas do I need to revive in my pursuit of God? Let me suggest three areas. I need to revive, number one, is my commitment. My commitment to Christ. If you're a believer, you made a commitment at a place and time. And that, that we sing the, uh, the hymn, usually we sing it uh, when we baptize. I have decided to follow Jesus. You made a commitment where you're going to follow Jesus. You're going to make him the priority of your life. You've committed your life to him. And maybe things, good things, that's usually the way it happens. Reviving of commitment. There needs that commitment. There needs to be a uh, reviving of commitment. There needs to be a freshness, a refreshness of commitment. Again, I'm not talking about getting resaved. I'm talking about walking in the joy of your salvation, walking in that freshness when you became a believer, the first time you became a believer, and there was that joy of what God has done in your life. What do you anticipate Him to do? We need to revive that commitment. We need to, secondly, revive my communion. And I'm not talking about taking communion. I'm talking about communion in the sense of our personal engagement through personal prayer, through personal time in the Word of God, where we take time with that we are engaging in our relationship, that we are taking time. Jesus took time and he drew away from his disciples and the crowds and he went and got alone with his heavenly Father. That We need to take some time to do that. I, I won't embarrass him, but there's somebody here that arrives early to work and their quiet time is the old way we used to sometimes say it, a quiet time. You know, some of your homes are anything but quiet and you can't have a quiet time. But he takes time to arrive early for work and he takes his time to pray, to read the word, to, to get his focus around God thoughts in the cab of his truck 30 minutes or so before he goes into work. Listen, wherever it works for you, Make a time to revive that personal communion between you and the Lord. And also, we need to revive our convictions. Our convictions. Not the 
conviction that the Spirit brings into our life, the conviction that we need Christ. I'm not talking about that conviction, but I'm talking about a conviction of what is true and not true. What is a lie and what is truth? Listen, in our culture, the operative phrase, I have my own truth. Just like saying, that's as ludicrous as saying, I have my own math. You have your math, I have my math. No, truth is not up for grabs. And there needs to be among believers a return and a sense of conviction that some things that God has clearly said are wrong, that that is not acceptable. We need a return to having those convictions in our life between understanding and discerning what is good, what God calls good, and what God says is sin and what God calls bad. It's the opposite in our culture. Bad is good and good is bad. We need some conviction. Sin, yes, sin, there's a word, does not change in God's view regarding sin does not change. The culture may be confused on what a man and a woman are, but God is not confused in what is truth and what is untruth. There is no confusion on truth in the Word of God. You know, it's interesting, as I was thinking about this, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, one of the characteristics of the, what Paul refers to as the end-time church. And when he wrote this in the first century, he referred to it as the last days. And we certainly are, I don't know when the last of the last day is, but I know we're further ahead than when Paul wrote this. Look in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Paul wrote, but know this, that in the last days... So we're... We're more last days than when Paul wrote the last days, all right? But in the last days, and that is meaning the time preceding the the culture, the environment, the world, prior to the second coming of Jesus Christ, we know that in the last days, perilous times will come. For men, men, women, people will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, Boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Having, look at this, having a what? Form of godliness but denying its power. And he says, and from such people, what? Turn away. Sounds like Paul has been watching the news. But look at verse 13. But evil men. He didn't say, you know, some men that, and women that mean well. They're sincere. Paul calls it out. He says, but evil men and imposters will do what? will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But you, but you must continue. And I think it would be fair to say, but you must have some convictions to continue in the things which you have learned and being assured of, having the conviction 
of knowing from who, uh, knowing whom you have learned them. And that's when he goes right into verse 16 and talks about the Word of God. Where did we learn this? Where did we get this? All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. You want to know what righteousness is? You want to know what God calls right? He's given us His Word. And he says, verse 17, that the man of God, the woman of God, may be complete thoroughly equipped for every good work. You see, I don't believe the Bible teaches that prior to the second coming, there's going to be this massive worldwide revival. There will be pockets, there will be small pockets, but the atmosphere, the environment, the culture is going to be worse and grow worse and worse and more apostate, the church. Apostate means a rejection, a refusal, a rebellion against the Word of God, that that is going to be the characteristic of Christianity, if you will, the church in the time preceding the second coming of Christ. Related to that, you know, in Revelation chapter 2 and 3, there is seven churches that are listed and spoken of in Revelation chapter 2 through 3. Uh, These are real churches that existed in Uh, Asia Minor, the old uh, Bible reference to it, but it would be modern-day Turkey. These were seven churches that the Holy Spirit, uh, Jesus, addresses. And these seven churches are uh, real, actual, local churches, but they're also pictures, or uh, you could even say prophetically, serve as a template to church periods throughout even history. And so the very last church is very much a church that lacks convictions. The church at Laodicea in Revelation 3, 15 through 16. Paul, or rather the Lord Jesus, says to this church that he referred to and says, you're, you're, you're rich, but you're really poor. And he says in verse 15, I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot, So then, because you are lukewarm, you're neither cold nor hot. Boy, what strong language. I will vomit you out of my mouth. But then he gives grace, verse 19. As many as I love. Remember Hebrews 12 says that a father disciplines his children because he loves them. Discipline is always restoration. So the Lord is bringing this rebuke. But what does he say in verse 19 to this church? And he says... To this church, even in our, in our uh, t- own today, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Repent means to make a change, to turn around, to quit going the direction you're going. And verse 20, we know this verse, but in the context of what he's saying, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. What is he doing? He's inviting, he's standing at the door and knock, and that if you're a spiritual Laodicea and you have grown cold and indifferent to the truth of God's word, and there's a lack of commitment and communion with him, and there's a lack of conviction of what truth is, the Lord Jesus is knocking at the door of your heart and wants to come in and reestablish. Again, I'm not talking about getting resaved. I'm 
talking about reestablish that love relationship that He desires for us. You know, it's interesting in Revelation chapter 2 through 3, those seven churches, oftentimes when a church finds itself in this type of state, it doesn't usually, it doesn't happen overnight. And it's interesting that the first church in Revelation 2 is the church at Ephesus. And what was the rebuke of the church at Ephesus? They had lost their first love. And then if you see the digression, where does it lead? It leads to a church that's on the verge of total rejection of God, that God wants to vomit them out of their mouth. Where does it begin? It begins when you lose your first love. And the compromise, the change, the indifference, the lack of relationship, it just happens over time. We know a little bit about here in Florida and other places that have, a be- that have beach erosion. It doesn't happen overnight, but little by little over time, the erosion around the shore takes a little here, a little there. That's what sin will do. Remember the old preacher that said, sin will always take you, what, further than you wanted to go, make you stay longer than you wanted to stay, and make you pay more than you wanted to pay. So we need to revive our pursuit of God. Notice, secondly, a second resolution. I need to recover. I need to recover my priority to the Word of God. I need to recover my priority to the Word of God. And here's three real simple ways. And, you know, basically it begins with having a conviction that the Word, that the Bible is the Word of God. Having a conviction that what the Word of God has to say, that I have a conviction that it's true. Some of you are still debating that. But I'm saying to those that have made up their mind, that have the assurance and the conviction that this is God's Word, I need to recover the priority for my life, my family, my worldview, whatever framework you want to call it. And there's three ways, that just really simple ways. Number one, here's a novel idea, read the Bible. Read the Bible. You say, I don't know where to start. Start in the Gospel of Mark. Start in John. We're studying John. Keep up with what we're doing on Sunday morning. It's, it's quit making excuses. It's not hard or complicated. In the back, we have somebody that blesses us uh, in paying for the Our Daily Breads. There's the new one that's back there for the January, February, March quarter. And that's a good uh, guide to help you just integrate daily habits, holy habits of Scripture reading. And it also just has, starting in January, it has a little plan in each, each day that you can just incorporate and follow and read the Scriptures. If you want to read through the Bible in a year, many of you are, that's very uh, a no, uh, able goal. Listen, how about just reading a couple of chapters in the year? How about just reading a, a small gospel like the Gospel of Mark? Again, it's not quantity. You've heard me say this before. It's not quantity. God is not impressed by your checking the box of these little forms that we do. And there's nothing wrong with that. But God is not impressed with your quantity. He wants quality reading. It is better 
to read less and learn more than to read a lot, and you don't even know what you read. But by golly, I'm going to check that box if it kills me. I don't know what, it, I, don't know what I read, but I'm going to check that box. I'm going to keep going, by goodness, right? Look, it's important to have disciplines and develop habits. But when it comes to reading the Bible, and I realize some of you, uh, reading is difficult. Reading is difficult. Here's, a, here's something you should know by now. In 2023, you can listen to the Bible online for free. On podcasts, there's entire, entire bot. There is so many resources out there, there really is no excuse Here's the bottom line. You should be engaging in some way in a consistent basis with the Word of God, with Scripture. All right? If you need a Bible, there are Bibles in the back. You can take one and keep it. All right? If you need a Bible, take it. That's why we put them back there. All right? So read the Bible. Here's also is review the Bible. That's study the Bible. That's taking the time to intentionally engage and learn what the Word of God says. I grew up in a church where it was a lot of, um, you know, it was a lot of, uh, what do I want to say, uh, motivational type preaching. It was, uh, and it was a lot of, uh, again, I don't know what the right word I'm looking for, but I really was never taught what the Bible said. And I remember when I, uh, about 19, and somebody uh, said, hey, I think you would enjoy listening to this guy on the radio that I listen to. His name is Chuck Swindoll. And you can, he'll send you these study guides of whatever series he's doing. And he goes through books of the Bible. And I started listening to that. And I remember after listening a while and having my Bible open, and I remember uh, one of the first books that I was, I believe it was First John, and, and after he taught a certain, you know, he's going by verse by verse, and then all of a sudden I understood what those verses said. And I was excited and hungry that I wanted to learn more. I wanted to know more about the Word of God, because as I was connecting and growing and learning about the Word of God, guess what it was doing? It was connecting and growing my relationship with the author of the book. Study. Some, let's just be honest, are just lazy. Just lazy. Well, pastor, I'm old. Brain doesn't work like it used to be. Maybe. Maybe that's true, and I'm learning that, going to be 61 next month. I'm, I'm learning the brain isn't quite what it was when it was 30, all right? And some of us brothers and sisters over 60 can agree with that, right? But you know what? You know what? You can always do something. Buy yourself a Haley's Bible handbook. You can get them used. You can get them used. One of the, and as you're reading... You're reading the Gospel of Mark, keep that handbook. Get a good study Bible where the notes are helpful. Make sure it's not God's, make sure it, the Scripture is not God's notes on the author of the study Bible. You know, sometimes you get that confused. 
But make sure, have a study Bible that has some help so when you come across a phrase, an event, a word, you can understand it. Why read anything and not understand what you're reading? And this church provides opportunities for you to engage in the Word of God. It doesn't require it to be a heavy burden on you. We provide multiple ways for you to have an entrance in doing something. Here's something we don't talk about uh, much anymore, and that's this third is remember the Bible. Memorize. You say, I can't memorize. Yeah, but you can recall the lyrics to that Chuck Berry song like that. When I hear Don McLean, American Pie, by golly, I can say the lyrics without even thinking about it. My wife is still not impressed. Take a verse. Here's, here's an idea. Get a, lot, get, a, uh, get a verse for this year. Pick a verse. Find a verse and say, that's going to be my verse. And if it takes you three months, two months, six months, whatever it is, you just read that verse regularly, write it down, put it somewhere in a little card or on your note app or something where you're going to see it, and you'll be amazed how the Word of God, you know, the Bible says, speaks in that Psalm 119, which is a great, great, wonderful, longest psalm in the Bible, your Word have I hidden in my heart. We need to hide the Word in our heart. What are we talking about here? We're talking about prioritizing the Word of God, letting it develop and, and collate our thinking and to let it begin to, to saturate our life. We need to revive my pursuit of God. I need to recover my priority to the Word of God. And thirdly, I need to renew my participation with the family of God. Now, some of you are going to squirm. I'm just telling you ahead of time. But I want to encourage you as a church family. Now, if you have, uh, you know, we have people here that are regular attenders. Many have been regular attenders for years. We have people that have, uh, and I like the word. I've started using the word instead of membership. I've started using the word partnership. You know, when you think of membership, you think of gym memberships, right? You think of, you know, but a partnership. That's what Paul called the Philippians that they were partners in the gospel. And so when you formally connect yourself, not dating the church, but you actually make a commitment to the church, you're, you're, making, you're, you're identifying as a partner with this local body. And I think that's a biblical uh, reason to do that. When Paul, to my knowledge, and I, you correct me if I miss it, but in Paul's epistles, his letters... Philemon is the only letter that he wrote to an individual personally. The rest were written to churches, gathered believers that would gather together and hear the Word of God read because they didn't have the multiple copies and access that we have. He addressed churches that were identified by their gathering together, identified by their commitment together. When they gathered together, they among themselves who identified as that local church determined who was going to be an elder, who was going to be a deacon, who was going to be a teacher. They, they, they did that among themselves. It wasn't just 
just this, you know, Vance Havner. How many of you ever heard of old Vance Havner, old country preacher? Listen to Vance Havner sometimes, just an old country preacher, but he had a doctorate. He wasn't stupid or ignorant. And he said, you know, there's people that talk about being a part of the invisible church, but they're usually invisible at church, right? So we say, I'm just part of the church. I'm just part of the church. Well, the Bible doesn't know anything about just a solo Christianity. Most of the Word of God, the New Testament, you can't do by yourself. It assumes and, 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 and lays out life that is to be joined together. What was the response to the early church in Acts chapter 2? They communed they commune together, had all things in common, shared with one another. They became a body that had experienced a like-minded faith in Christ, and now they were going to live this Christian life together as a gathered group of a community of believers. There's three ways, and really these should be familiar because as a church, uh, we use these uh, three C's on our logo as a uh, as kind of just a, a vision statement. And I've never really been big. I've been, I mean, in church life ministry for 40 years. And I'll be honest with you, every time somebody wants to talk about working on a mission statement, I get a headache. I get a migraine. That is just something that we imported in from corporate America and churches started doing it in the 70s and 80s. Here's, here's a mission statement. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. You want a mission statement? There you go. Pay me that $20,000 fee or whatever. No, that the mission statement is, is, uh, is abiding and following the commands and words of Jesus. But, but in a simple way, is if somebody says, what does it mean? What is, what is required? And, or I don't even want to use the word required. But what is expected if I were to partner with Grace Church? Grace Church what, what, what are the expectations? Can you uh, have the elevator talk? And explain that. You know what the elevator talk is? Somebody needs to turn their phone off. The elevator talk is that you can explain something in that seconds that you're on that elevator. Okay? And so what is the elevator talk or what does it mean to be a part or the expectation of Grace Church? And we just, these aren't original. I see these other around in different variations, so there's nothing to be impressed here. It was just a way that if you had to say what is involved, here's, here's a simple way to do it. Number one is the word celebrate. And here's the quickest way to say it. Come to church on Sunday. That's a novel idea for some. You know, we live in a culture, and I realize the culture is different. But you know what? Guess what? The commitment to believers shouldn't be shifting with the culture. I realize times have changed. It is different. My generation, if you were raised in, in a healthy church life, you went to church, more than likely before the Sunday gathering, you were part of a small group that met an hour or so before the Sunday gathering. You know what that small group was called? Sunday school. Okay, listen, the Baptists had it all these small groups figured out before uh, Bill Hybels did, all right? And they were just called Sunday school. What is the point? It's just small gatherings to connect people relationally. And so they gathered on Sunday morning. 
something that was very common and a very much a part of, of, of Bible conservative uh, believing churches was the Sunday night service. And there's things that in pastoring churches that had a Sunday night service, there are things that you can teach and do that you can't always do on Sunday morning. I'm sorry that that's gone. Now, my wife would probably uh, file for divorce if I pushed that. <laughs> all right, not divorce. She would just move to another house or something, all right? No, I get it. I get it. People's lives are more complicated. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just making an illustration of how things have changed. And then I get Wednesday night and other opportunities. In other words, what, what changed is that for many believers in the generations that have passed, and I'm not, again, advocating we go back to all that. I'm just, I'm just using that. We oftentimes look at how the culture has moved, but look at how the church has shifted. And what does that say that we think that as perilous times, that as the culture becomes more reflective and rebellious against God, we somehow decided, you know what, my life and my children, we need less. We need less worship and Bible teaching. We need less of church. I think that's a huge mistake. Again, I don't have the answer and we're going to implement this, implement that. I'm not talking about that. I'm just thinking about how that, unfortunately, has changed. And so now, it's, it's unusual to have churches that, that meet beyond once a week. And so the gathering, what is, what is my expectation? Come and participate on the Lord's Day. It's called the Lord's Day. Our church didn't celebrate the Saturday Sabbath, but they celebrated the first, on the first day of the week that they gathered together and they called it the Lord's Day because it was reflective of the resurrection of Christ on the first day of the week. That was the shift from the old legal law system that Jews were obligated to abide by, but new covenant believers began to meet on a day of worship on Sunday. That was the typical norm. And they began to participate and gather together. So my encouragement is, is renew your participation and consistency in coming on the Lord's Day. But there's a second C there that we use, and that's the word connect. Just coming and being a part of Sunday morning, that's just part of it. But there's the connect. And I just put in parentheses there, small groups. We have and try in different ways to have opportunities for the bigger church to get smaller, to get connected. You can't really get connected by looking at the back of somebody's head. I mean, really, what we do here, and if you come a little early, and some of you come later than others, or whatever, you can't really do a lot of that. So the smaller groups, whether it's the men on Tuesday, the women's groups, the Wednesday Bible study that we do, uh, we're uh, in preparation to uh, begin this year, Lord willing, this quarter, uh, life groups, connect groups, I'm not sure what we'll call them, but small home groups in which... Uh, individuals will, and some have, some have already been uh, doing that, but you will uh, have time where you gather in somebody's home twice a month 
And uh, it just creates a smaller network of people that you can get to know other believers and develop a relationship, friendship, and committal that it begins to reflect a little closer of what that early church was doing when it said they had thing, all things in common. They were involved and connected in people's lives. I know that some of you don't want to do that. Because you shuffle out that side door quick. I get it. Guess what? It's okay. You can still come. No condemnation. But I want to nudge you and encourage you that that is part of the way in the sanctification of the believer's life. Guess what? It involves the connecting with other people. As I said, the Bible knows nothing about this solo watch from my house streaming in my little church. That is a necessary thing that we've done. And I get there are some that are homebound that physically can't come. I'm not talking to them. But I'm encouraging the faithful, the people that identify with this body, to get connected and building some connecting relationships. Make that part of your renewal of participation in the family of God. For example, this Saturday, it's not a small group, but it'll be a small group that gathers. This Saturday from 9 to noon, here, here, we need to enjoy the lights because they're not going to be here next week. We need some folks to come out for a few hours. The more we get, it'll be quick and easy. We need to take down the Christmas decorations. Well, I don't know anybody. Good. Perfect candidate. Come on out. And do something. Connect. Just in, spend an hour or two. Whatever it is. Guess what? You'll get to know somebody that you didn't know. These are done in a way so that you can find a way to connect with other people in the church. And then, um, you know, I've said this before about all the one another uh, passages in Scripture. There's 59 exhortations that speak about one another one another, behaviors that we do out of the overflow of our relationship with Christ that must involve other people. We don't do them by ourselves. We do them. We one another. That's the community. That's the body. That's the family of God. But then there's a third C besides celebrate, connect, and that's the word commit. And I would say this probably is the weakest area of our church. Being committed means not uh, means being committed to the Great Commission. Commitment involves what we might call evangelism. It recalls uh, having opportunity and in intentional ways that we share the gospel, that we are involved in compassion ministries, whether it's through uh, a woman's choice, whether it's through lighthouse, in a small way, even though it was not real personal, but it was still a major job you guys did with that 511 shoe boxes, that, that, was, that was part of that, the mission support and trips uh, to the Dominican Republic, all those things, but we can do more, and it's not to just create a bunch of busy stuff, but it's saying to you out there, what is God burden your heart for? There may be other individuals that have a burden for the same uh, situation, the same group, the same outreach of 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 this group of people or opportunity. Well, let's talk about it. Let's pray about it. 
You know, some, they, uh, thankfully, Connie, I'll pick on Connie, uh, you know, she had a, a burden and desire to put the track uh, ministry back there. She had a plan, put it all together. I said, great, let's do it. And it happened. Make use of those things. You're not comfortable talking with somebody? Take one of those uh, tracks and, and, and use it as a conversation star. My point is, is that part of participating in the church, in the body, means that we gather together on Sundays. That's, con- that's celebrating. We connect. We find ways to connect in small groups. We find ways that we are greater at being committed to the Great Commission. But you say, Pastor, you didn't say anything about resolutions concerning uh, my marriage, my family, about, Pastor, you didn't even mention anything about giving to the church. Boy, what you blew that opportunity. How often on a Sunday do you hear me even talk about giving? But yet the Lord has met our needs. Pastor, you didn't mention about resolutions for my career or or any of those things. Well, here's the verse that I want to leave you with. And that's Matthew 6.33. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. You see, I'm talking about getting your seeking first in right alignment. That when you're seeking first the purpose and agenda of God, then it's amazing how all these other areas fall into place. When you begin to align yourself in seeking first, men, in the kingdom of God, guess what? You're going to be a more godly husband. You're going to be a more godly father. Why? Because you're getting your agenda to what God says is first as a husband, as a man of God. You're getting your priorities in order. Why not start 2023? God already knows that you're going to blow it. All right? You're going to miss your goals. And I'm not talking about sin, even though that's true too. I'm just saying, why not take advantage and say, you know, there are some areas spiritually that I need to, re- that I need to seek first more in 2023. There are some areas that I need to get in better, al- better alignment than what they were in this past year. When God's purposes are aligned in our life, I believe many of the worries and troubles the things that consume us grow dim and often correct themselves. Does that mean there's not going to be surprises, surprises to us? Does that mean there's not going to be valleys? Does that mean there's not going to be tests? Read your Bible. That's part of the, the walk of the believer. But yet God is faithful in the midst of all those valleys. Remember what I said? You're either getting ready to go in a valley You're in the middle of a valley, or you're coming out of a valley. You're either in the middle of crisis, you're getting ready to go into crisis, or you're coming out of crisis. That almost seems to be the cycle of life, doesn't it? Pay attention to me. Nobody's nobody's being arrested or screaming. Everybody's good, all right? Everybody's good. What do we need to do? Number one, revive your pursuit of God. Revive your pursuit of God. Get the big rocks in the jar and all the little ones will fall into place.
Seek first the kingdom of God. Pursue God. Revive your passion and love for Jesus. Recover the priority of the word of God. Start reading the Bible. Start engaging in scripture. Start letting it saturate and form and rewire your thinking. Heard a preacher say, y'all need to spend, y'all need to quit spending so much time on Yellowstone and start spending time on the cornerstone. <laughs> I thought, I wish I could say it the way he said it. And then renew your participation in the family of God. That's what the Bible describes the church as a family, as a family. I want to have some resolutions where I can look back. And even though I didn't hit the mark every time, I want to look back and say, you know what? I've grown. I've made progress in my faith. I've made progress in my relationship to God. I made progress in my relationship and application to the Word of God. And guess what? I'm really participating because I realize that God has designed His church. God has connected us together. You see, the church is a unique thing. I, I really, I, you know, one of the big strategies in church growth is you find a specific segment. Let's say it's young marrieds, but turn to what the New Testament is. The New Testament, you've got blue collar, white collar, ring around the collar. You've got everybody. You've got criminals, business people, black, white, every shade of brown. You've got it all together. Why? Because we are unified in the cross, in, the, in Jesus Christ. All ground is level at the foot of the cross. What is our unification, our unifying? It's not our politics. It's not our race, it's not our income, but we are one in Christ. Be a part of a church that when you look around, most of the people don't necessarily look like you. I think that's why Grace Church, imperfect, but we are a healthy church. We're not all a bunch of lily white Anglo-Saxons, all right? I want to be a part of church, the church that looks like heaven's going to look. From every tribe, every nation, every tongue, every people group. Why? Because we're one in Christ. That's the kind of church that I want to be a part of. And I'm thankful that we are. Let's stand to our feet as we close this morning.